Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Amen. Uh, these are the words of the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Verse 20, the redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. Seven centuries later, that Redeemer came. Jesus came to buy back anyone willing to be redeemed, purchasing their life by giving up his own. He then overcame death itself, rising from the dead, appearing to hundreds of people as a risen man, and then ascending into heaven and now living forever in the throne room of God. He had called many people to himself to be discipled by him, trained by him for walking through this life. And while his death and ascension into heaven may have left them momentarily lonely, he did not leave them alone because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's promises were fulfilled, including the promise that his spirit really would stay with his people, giving them the words they needed for a world-changing movement. Empowered by that spirit, men and women went out to share the good news that death is defeated And sin is snapped and love really is God's top priority. Uh, One of those men was named Paul. And he was so taken by the love and redemption of Jesus in his own life that he started planting these little communities of people to follow in the ways of Jesus and to follow Jesus together. And so he would move from town to town and he would start these little communities and he would teach them the ways of Jesus and the habits of living in the ways of Jesus. And then he would move on to the next town and he would plant a community there and he would teach them. And meanwhile, he would write a letter back to the community that he had already formed, reminding them, correcting them, reteaching them the ways of Jesus. In these letters, he used word pictures Jewish history, uh, everyday examples to help them wrap their minds around what it might mean to actually follow Jesus in their everyday lives. And as Paul was trying to help them take these everyday steps of following Jesus and, and helping them hang on in the face of severe persecution because signing up to follow Jesus or to say they were a Jesus follower was a life-threatening decision on their part. And as Paul taught them, as he encouraged them, 
as he tried to strengthen and give them the courage to stand firm in the face of this persecution, he thought about how God gets dressed. He thought about this passage in Isaiah and other passages like it. And we see him use this analogy of God's armor in multiple letters. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at the fullest use of this analogy in one of Paul's letters in the letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, This is Ephesians chapter six. And he sets it up this way. We'll start in verse 12 of Ephesians six. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Okay, group participation time. Ready? So when, when you know the answer, you shout it out. And we'll leave, the, we'll leave the note up here so you can cheat off of the actual scripture. You ready? Okay. Whose armor is it? God's armor. Okay. And when it is all done, we will be what? Standing firm. It is God's armor that we put on so that after the battle, we will be standing firm. There is a battle. As Willie said, safety is found in the Lord, but safety is not found in the journey of following him. Jesus does not promise safe harbor or safe passage. He promises a safe place when we get there, but he does not promise safe harbor or safe passage in the journey of following after him. There is a battle we are engaged in and there will be hurts and threats and difficulties. And although Jesus does not promise that the journey will be easy, part of the good news of Jesus is he promises there will be a day where everything will be made new and right and where all of the losses and the brokenness and the hurt all disappears. That's part of the good news. The other part of the good news is that as we walk day to day in this life where hurt and battle is a real part of it, that we do not walk this journey alone that his spirit really does go with us. So whose armor is it? God's armor. And we wear it to stand firm. We're gonna hear that stand firm come up again and again in Paul's analogy. So we continue in verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I wanna zero in this morning on salvation as helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet or in many other English translations, take on the helmet of salvation. Now, in order to talk about this, I think we need to make sure that we are all on the same page about how the Bible understands salvation and how we see salvation show up in the stories of Jesus's life. So even if you've been going to church for decades, uh, stick with me because this definition may not be as narrow 
as you have been taught it is. Uh, For most Christians, salvation means being saved from death and hell and given everlasting life. It's it's getting into heaven forever. Uh, People will even say, well, I was saved on such and such a date, right? I was saved February uh, 1990 or whatever it may be. Uh, And and I I think that is... a totally fine way to, to talk about it, that that is, that is true, that is part of what salvation means. In the 1800s, 19th century, a movement picked up steam that eventually became called the social gospel, which began to teach that the way that we rescue people is by taking care of their physical needs, that we care for the poor, we feed the hungry, we... Uh, find freedom for the captive, all of, all of these things. And that that, they would say, is the real saving work of Jesus. And a lot of this came out of sort of the enlightenment idea and all of this spiritual stuff that we can't really see. Let's just kind of ignore that part of it. And let's recognize that there are people in need and we need to actually love them and rescue them out of their poverty. And that's how we will actually save people. That's the real saving work of Jesus. And so then some other Christians pushed back against that and they pushed back really hard. <laughs> and they said, no, no, no. Jesus may, yes, okay, sure. Jesus taught care for the poor, that sort of thing. But Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead so we could feed a few hungry people. There is something eternally significant going on here. He died to save them from their sins. And that really what the life of Jesus is about and the message of Jesus is about is salvation from hell and into heaven. And you started to hear language from folks saying, look, all of this is going to burn anyway. This is all going away. None of this actually really matters. And the only thing that matters is the spiritual things, is eternity. And I think that eternal perspective is fantastic to recognize that this life on this earth, the day-to-day we can be so focused on, is a very, very tiny part of eternity. And so yes, having an eternal perspective And what happened as that group pushed back so hard against social gospel, and some of you grew up in churches where this is how the gospel message was preached. It is only about how do we save people from going to hell? And social gospel sort of becomes a a curse word of sorts. And and you say, no, 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 we're not not worried about people's physical needs because all of this is gonna go away Anyway, what we're actually worried about is people's eternal damnation and salvation. And, and that would be fine, except that it doesn't fully match how Jesus used the word salvation. Jesus used the word with a larger, more complete meaning. Some examples. Uh, in Luke Chapter seven, Jesus is at a religious leader's house for dinner. And while they are eating, a quote unquote immoral woman comes busting into the party and falls at Jesus's feet and begins to touch and worship him. And the religious leader who's hosting the dinner uh, thinks to himself, oh man, if Jesus, Jesus is this traveling preacher, he must not know this lady. Because if he knew this lady, like we all know this lady, which by the way, Simon, why do you know this lady so well? Anyway, if we all knew, 
if he knew what we all know about this lady's past, he would never let her touch him and worship him. He doesn't say any of it out loud. Jesus responds to his thoughts anyway. and says, oh, oh, I, I know. See, here's the thing. You could barely be bothered to show me respect when I walked in the door. This woman, he says, though her sins are many, <laughs> he just calls it out. He knows. He knows they all know. He knows she knows. Her sins are many. She has chosen to fall my feet and worship. And, and then he forgives her her sins, which blew people's minds. And in uh, Luke seven fifty, he turns to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that phrase, your faith has saved you, uh, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. Um, so please, by all means, dig into, because it comes up a lot in Jesus's phrase. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. What does that mean? Lots of really good stuff to dig into. Biblehub.com, go for it. Dig in. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This makes sense to us to a large degree. Uh, her sins are forgiven, so she is saved. That makes sense. Different example, Matthew chapter nine. A woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, not to be crass about it, but Aunt Flo has overstayed her welcome. 12 years. And she gets it in her head that she, if she could just touch the hem of Jesus's robe, that she will be healed. Here's the problem with that. In their culture, she was labeled unclean. She's not allowed to touch anybody. And she chooses to jostle through this crowd around Jesus. They're, they're, Jesus is walking through town. A crowd of people have gathered and he and his disciples are trying to shove through this crowd of people. And she manages to push her way to the front and reach into the hole in the middle of this crowd that Jesus' disciples have tried to make for him and touch his robe. And he stops and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, everybody. Like everybody has touched you. What are you talking about? Like they're just people everywhere. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I felt healing go out of me. Somebody touched me. And she realizes that it's her that he's talking about. And she realizes she's healed. And so she, with some shame, some concern and worry, presents herself as the person who touched him. And, and the fear here is that she, in order to tell her testimony, she's gonna have to tell people that she was unclean. She's gonna have to talk about what was wrong and that she has quote unquote infected all of them to get to Jesus. And when she presents herself, Matthew 9, 22, Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Here's the thing. That phrase made you well in Matthew 9 and the phrase saved you, your faith has saved you from Luke 7, the Greek is exactly the same. 
we've interpreted made you well because we understand that there's something about this word that does mean healing. And we see that she was healed. So we go, okay. So in English, this would be, well, it made you well, made you healed. And your, your faith has healed you, other translations say. But made you well, saved you. It's actually the exact same Greek behind the English. Healing is a salvation. Eternal life is a salvation. I, I think a fuller understanding of salvation is helpful. So for our purposes this morning, at least, let's define it this way. Salvation is rescue from the consequences of sin. Salvation is rescue from the consequences of sin. So remember that sin is not just a bad action. It's not just a bad choice. Biblically, sin is an infection. That God's good and perfect order has been infected by this disease called sin. It's been poisoned and everything in God's creation, including us, has been poisoned, infected, by sin, where there had only been goodness and life, now there is death and brokenness and separation and disease. Remember the words of Isaiah that we started with. God put on his helmet of salvation because there was no justice in the world. He looked down and was dismayed to find there was no justice. And so he put on his helmet of salvation. Jesus came to undo all the consequences of sin. And sin's consequences are many. Death, brokenness, separation from God, separation from each other, disease, injustice. And the physical healings were a, a visible undoing of the consequences of sin. The, the physical healing that Jesus performed, that Jesus has empowered his church to continue to pray for is a physical, visible undoing of the consequences of sin because so much of the undoing is not visible. He would heal people and forgive their sins. He is undoing the consequences of sin in both places, one visible to demonstrate his power, and one with eternal consequences. Uh, one more example of Jesus using salvation. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. He just invites himself over. Hey, Zach, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a betrayer of his people, a Jewish man who worked for the oppressing Roman government, taking money from his Jewish kin and giving it to the Romans and taking a little extra from them to pad his own pockets. They saw him, at his, his society saw him as a betrayer of his people. To the Romans, he was nothing because he was a Jew. To the Jews, he was nothing because he was helping the Romans. He has this history of cheating people, this reputation uh, of um, being in it for no one but himself. And there is no one who is there for him. And Jesus goes over to his house for dinner. And Zacchaeus feels convicted. Zacchaeus says that he will give back anything that he has stolen and then some. He has this shift from taking to generosity. And Jesus' response 
in Luke 19.9 is uh, to look at Zacchaeus, to look at the crowd that is gathered around going, what in the world is this respectable teacher doing in that guy's house for dinner? He responds to Zacchaeus by talking to the crowd. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus restores him into the Jewish people and says, salvation has come to this home today. Now, did Zacchaeus just earn his eternal salvation and eternal life in heaven by promising to be generous? Because if that's what happened there, we're going to run into a whole lot of theological issues. So we're not gonna run through uh, all of, uh, uh, of those issues here. Uh, I'm gonna ask you to trust me a little bit that as we look at the full scope of scripture, there is no way that that could be what Jesus means here. That by promising to give other people money, Zacchaeus essentially bought his way into heaven. Salvation and eternal life are gifts of God. We do not earn them with our behavior. We receive them as gifts. So if we look at salvation and say, no, that's, that, that must mean eternal life, we're gonna end up on some really shaky theological ground really quickly. On the other hand, did Zacchaeus just participate in pushing back against the darkness and undoing the consequences of sin? Absolutely. Is he undoing some of the consequences of his own sins? Sure, yes, absolutely, that's part of it. But he is participating in Jesus's mission to undo the consequences of sin in this world, the brokenness, the cheating, the injustice. Jesus has invited him to participate and Zacchaeus has stepped in fully. Remember, it is not our helmet of salvation. It's God's helmet of salvation. His helmet of rescue and redemption and justice that we put on. Our job is to take on that gift of God, that helmet of salvation. So why would Paul tell us to do that? Why, why is it necessary, uh, a necessary habit of daily Christian living to put on this helmet of salvation? He says every day, do these things, put on the shoes of peace, buckle on the belt of truth, put on the helmet of salvation. When we take on this helmet of salvation, what exactly are we taking on? There, there's something about this helmet of salvation that must allow us to stand firm in the midst of whatever storms of life we find ourselves in, whatever battles in the spiritual realm that we find ourselves in, because that, that is the point of this armor, right? That in, in the end, we will be standing firm. So something about this helmet of salvation is a good daily habit to help us stand Firm. So when we take on this helmet, what exactly are we taking on? In taking on salvation, we are taking on our identity in Christ. We're taking on our identity in Christ. For all those who have stepped into a relationship with Jesus, 
we read in Paul's letter to the Roman church that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That just as Jesus is a son of, is the son of God, that we are invited into that same relationship as sons and daughters of God. That whatever access to God that Jesus has, we are also invited into that kind of access. Uh, I, I don't, I uh, have it in front of me because it just popped into my head. So I'm, I'm not quite going to get it right. It's a quote by the late Tim Keller who says something like, uh, only a father is willing to get woken up at three in the morning to be asked for a glass of water. We have that kind of access to the God of the universe that we can knock on the door at three in the morning and say, I'm thirsty. <laughs> I just need a little something. You are a child of God, a creation of God, yes, but as you step into relationship with Jesus, an adopted, chosen, loved child of God. In the same way that uh, Jesus restored Zacchaeus into being part of God's people, when we come to Jesus, we are brought into being part of the family of God. And so when we take on this helmet of salvation, we're reminded whose family we are in, whose side we are on, whose words get to define who we are. Not those words that your mom or dad said that have stuck in the back of your brain and warped your self-identity for decades. Not that lie that you believed in high school that you've never quite been able to shake not what the society around you thinks of you. Zacchaeus' whole world had judged him. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not about that anymore. Your identity is in the family of God. When we come to Christ, we're told in scripture that Christ moves into us. That that spirit of God that Isaiah prophesied about, that Jesus promised, that we read in the book of Acts, appeared in the lives of the disciples. That spirit is with us, takes up residence in us. Speaker and author John Lynch once said, on my worst day, I am Christ in John Lynch. On your worst day, on your worst day, you are still Christ in you. Nothing changes that. And we take on the helmet of our salvation, that identity in Christ to remind ourselves that we are Christ in us. No choice or action has made Jesus want to move out. The helmet reminds us whose family we're in, whose side we are on. Uh, Certainly Paul would not have been thinking about American football helmets, clearly, um, but, but you can think about it. And as that helmet goes on and that logo is there on the side, part of that is to help identify who is on which team The NFL tries to keep colors fairly well separated so you can tell who is who. Uh, I discovered this year, um, my my children are not into football. 
I, I'm, I, there's part of me that would like them to be. We'll talk to them about it, whatever. They're, they're not, they're not into football until this year because they, some people are already laughing because they are into Taylor Swift. <laughs> and so now when there's a little red logo up on the screen, we want to know if Taylor Swift's boyfriend is playing in this particular game. And it turns out that a K and a C on a red background and an S and an F on a red background are really similar to the untrained I. And so we've had to discuss the difference between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift's boyfriend. The logo matters. Identifying which team you are on matters. Now imagine, I mean, some teams have been so good that it felt like every time they put on their uniform, they were going to win. It felt like, well, all they have to do is show up uh, and they will win the Super Bowl at the end of the season. But that's not how that works. However, for us, when we put on the helmet of our salvation, part of what we are taking on is the hope of certain victory. And I do not mean certain victory in every battle, but I do mean certain victory in the end. Another letter where Paul pulled on this analogy is one of his letters to the Thessalonian church. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.8. This is in the New International Version. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation the New Living Translation says the certainty of our salvation. Because Christ has already won the victory over sin and death, we know that we are on the winning team. And that is a powerful thing to know headed into battle. That one day we will belong to a kingdom of victory where battles and losses and heartbreak will be no more. That one day all will be made right and new and as God originally intended it to be. In the meantime, we get to carry that hope into the world. But not just a hope for a someday, although certainly that, but a hope that there can be victory in our lives today. Jesus did not tell people the kingdom of God will show up one day. As he is going around teaching and healing and forgiving, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. And then when he ascended into heaven, he sent out his followers to tell that story, to tell the story of a kingdom of God that is at hand. And we have been tasked with seeing that kingdom become a reality today in little ways and big ways and everything in between. We have been given a mission, a calling, and when we take on the helmet of salvation, we remember that calling, that our calling as followers of Jesus, as part of the family of God, is to undo the consequences of sin. Our calling is to undo the consequences of sin. This is the family business, and we have been invited in to bring Jesus to people so that they can experience the undoing of sin's consequences in their own life. 
the sin that makes them feel, the, again, the disease of sin, not something that they did. I'll certainly, we bring them the hope that the consequences of what they did can be undone and forgiven. But just sin is an infection in our world that leaves people feeling lonely and left out. That leaves us diseased and broken. That leaves our relationships separated and shattered. We get to bring the hope that there can be victory, there can be kingdom life, there can be an undoing of the consequences of sin in our lives today. We can see marriages restored, hope reclaimed, freedom become an actual reality. And we can see that by participating in God's worldwide work, for sure, by going, by paying, by praying, all of those things. And we can see it by walking across the street and walking across the living room serving our family and our neighbors, listening to the lonely. In all of these ways, we undo the consequences of sin in our world. We participate in the salvation work that Jesus is doing in the world. We participate in seeing the kingdom of God at hand today. And ultimately, we invite people to come and follow Jesus and find the life over death and victory over sin that he offers, to find the eternal life that he invites them into, yes, and to come and experience with us the unraveling of the consequences of sin in our lives. This is the joy of a life of meaning and purpose. We are participating in beating back the darkness in unraveling and undoing the infection of sin with our choices to love. And we do it with the certainty of victory in the end. We may not win every battle, but we know that we are on the team, in the family that wins in the end. Every day then, we have a name to claim and a job to do. And no, you will not feel like fighting the battle every day, for sure. Some days, the temptations will simply sound more appealing than the victory. So call a friend, change your routine, and remember that you have been handed a helmet of salvation to put on. And it is not all up to you. It is God's helmet of salvation and his desire for justice in your life. Some days, the darkness of grief or depression will weigh down your hope. And it will feel like neither you nor your hope could possibly get out of bed today. Call a friend. Talk to a therapist, go for a walk, ask for help. Commit yourself to simply doing one positive thing that day, something. Because on those days when the battle feels so, so real, that's a really good reminder that it actually is. The battle is actually real and it is actually happening every day. And we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. 
putting on the armor may not make the darkness go away that day. But you have been given that armor by a God who loves you, who calls you his child, who sees you and who sees the injustice that you are feeling and experiencing. A breastplate of love and faith, a belt of truth, a shield of community, a helmet of salvation. Every day, we have a name to claim and a job to do. So as a daily practice, as a daily practice, remember who you are and what you are called to do. Remember who you are and what you are called to do. You are a child of God, loved no matter what you do. You've been given a task to beat back the darkness to undo the work of this disease called sin, to bring hope to the hopeless and life to the condemned. You may not win the battle today, but you belong to the one who has already won the war. Every day, remember the joy of who you are and the joy of getting to unravel the darkness one choice of love at a time. Every day, take on that helmet of God's salvation. Let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, there are many days where I don't understand why you would invite us to participate in undoing the darkness that we also help create. But you tell us that we are forgiven, that we're loved, that we're your child, and that you want to give us the opportunity to experience the joy of seeing the kingdom come alive, your kingdom, your light, your life become real for the people around us. God, sometimes the world feels so dark that it just feels hopeless and we feel helpless. Like what could we possibly do? God, remind us that it is your armor. It is your gift. It is your energy, your courage to your kingdom. And so we remember that you have already won the victory over sin and death. You have been unraveling the consequences of sin for a very long time and you invite us to step into it and participate in it and experience that joy. God, would you give us the courage to do that? Would you give us the vision to see that you really are winning? You have won and that you are winning and that your kingdom carries with it a hope and a light that we can invite people into out of the darkness into your light and life. Would you help us to stand in that kingdom to remember your love for us to remember that our calling is to share that love to take that light to the people around us. give us light in the darkness. Father, would you give us victory in the battles? Would you protect us from the evil one as we wear your armor? And may you receive all the glory you're due. Or connect with us online at easthills.org.